It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name's Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show on any podcast app you like, including Himalaya, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, whatever you like. And if you don't like podcast apps or if you listen in your car and you don't want to be scrolling through your phone, you can always just ask your smart device like Siri or Alexa to play podcast locked on Vikings. And today we get to report on the start of OTAs in which nothing happened. It wasn't open to the media, so there's really not a lot to talk about. There's a video you could pour over if you really wanted to overanalyze things or if you're that Uh, thirsty for football. I'll link it in the show notes for you, but there's not really much to talk about. The only real snippet of news is that Stefan Diggs wasn't present for the first uh, day of OTAs. We have no idea why. There's no real reason to think that he would be bitter about anything. He's, He's in the, like, fully guaranteed part of his contract. There's nothing there that would ever, like, cause a problem, typically. But it's, you know, far more often the case that something comes out later that explains his absence and he, like, had a wedding to go to or something, and that's that. It's not, uh, this was a report by Darren Wolfson, and he immediately followed it up, like, don't worry about his status for training camp or anything like that. He just had to miss this one. Could have been because they sent him down to Florida to work with a rehab person because of an injury we don't know about, but that's all going to be fine. Like, nine times out of... 10, it's completely fine. And the time that it isn't fine, usually it's fine by the time you need it to be fine. So if it is something worth talking about, we'll talk about it when that news does happen. But if it's just like, yeah, he decided the hyperbaric chamber was better for him than OTAs and the coaches are okay with that and everything is fine, then we're not really going to bother. And to be honest, with most of OTAs, I'm not going to go too deep into them unless there's an injury or something to talk about that is like actually newsworthy. Uh, Right now, I mean, they're playing in warm-up pants. They're just trying to get the, the scheme down. The only stuff that maybe is worth looking out for, and as you see, you know, reporters today, as you're listening to this, you know, tweeting out videos and pictures and stuff, look at the offensive line configurations, look at who's on like the second team and the third team and who's taking reps. We can kind of get our first answers to some of the questions about like, is Steven Weatherly going to get first team reps or are they just going to give it all to Everson Griffin? You know, where is Pat Elfline going to play versus Garrett Bradbury? We like kind of know the answers we can assume to these questions, but OTAs get us our, our first kind of real look into the, the Vikings having to kind of show their cards on those like kinds of questions. Um, but really like in terms of actually evaluating performance, there is not much. I mean, I see tweets from other camps all the time about like, Oh, so-and-so like threw an interception. Like who cares? It's OTAs. It's May. Everybody's in shorts. You you really can't call this uh, an accurate simulation of football. So we're not going to do that. We are going to move on to the 90 man series. This is a series that I've been doing uh, basically throughout the entire spring and summer ever since draft weekend, where we talk about one player on the 90 for each segment of the podcast and go really deep into their background and who they are and where they came from and what they have to fight for and what they have to lose come the preseason. This will be kind of serve as a, a really good training camp preview. This will give us a lot of context towards what going what's going on in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. And today, I want to start you off with Davion Davis, who is a name you may have immediately forgotten after he was signed on as an undrafted free agent rookie right after this draft. He's from Sam Houston State. He's a wide receiver. And in high school, he was a two-sport athlete, as all these people are. You know, when you're a wide receiver, you almost always also ran track because you're a wide receiver. You are fast. 
Uh, and, and he wasn't very highly recruited. That's why he ends up at, at Sam Houston State. And for Davis, everything is progressing fairly normally. I guess, I mean, we are going to go over a whole bunch of these stories, and the large majority of them have, like, these components, right? You're recruited at whatever level, you go to college, you, you end up kind of being a backup or a redshirt in your freshman year, your sophomore year you get a little work, your junior year you're a starter, your senior year you're a good starter. Like, that's pretty much the status quo, and then wherever you deviate from that is what's interesting about your story. But Davion Davis pretty much follows this path. He gets recruited to a small school, but he ends up really showing out for that school, and he's starting to win all-conference honors and stuff by his junior year, so he's actually a little ahead of that, like, status quo curve, and in his senior year, he's keeping up that same pace, and he's actually looking like a guy that's, like, somebody who could end up getting a chance in the NFL, which we know turns out to bear fruit, but it's all speculative at this point. He's, you know, everybody around him is thinking, like, yeah, this guy actually has a chance, and then disaster strikes. He gets hurt. He suffers a, a little lower leg injury compared to some of the other injuries we talk about where people are, like, ripping apart their ACLs and tearing biceps and stuff. It's just a small-ish lower leg injury in a late October game against southeastern Louisiana. He hurts his lower leg, and he ends up having to leave the game. And then they have a decision to make because it seems like, at least from the reporting around the time, it seems like the kind of injury where people at the time were thinking like, okay, maybe he returns later in the season and, you know, we can make a playoff push in our conference tournament or whatever. And they actually shut him all the way down and he, he gets shut down. And this is actually kind of a solid that the school does for him. I mean, like you think of situations like I think it was it was Quentin Nelson who sat out his bowl game a couple years ago and and like there's all kinds of situations where college players with futures in the NFL and therefore a lot of money on the line are going to be kind of overcautious with their injury situations or just to not get injuries in the case of, you know, players who sit out bowl games even though they're perfectly healthy because, you know, of what happened to like Jalen Smith and and so on and so forth. It's a meaningless bowl game uh, against, you know, for a team that's not going to pay you and you're not going to risk your your multi-million dollar future on that. Now, Davion Davis doesn't have a multi-million dollar future he's necessarily risking, but there is a little bit of speculation and hey, maybe, you know, if you if if you make a team that's like half a million dollars, that's still a, a solid sum of money and it's not worth coming back and playing for, you know, the Sam Houston State Bearcats to maybe forfeit that. But on the other hand, there's actually some risk to this because if you're going to, you know, if you concede like, okay, we're just going to make this decision based entirely on what is best for Davion Davis's career and what the school actually needs is, is a is a back burner thought and we don't care about it, which is essentially what happens. The school essentially concedes, you know, we're doing what's best for your career because we want you to make it. And honestly, from the school's perspective, that's probably better for them anyways to have like a kid from their school actually make it to the NFL than to like win a random game against other Southland Conference competition. Um, but so the school kind of steps out and says, okay, we're doing what's best for, for Davion Davis. But that is not that cut and dry either, because if if he does sit out, we know how that turns out for him. He's an undrafted free agent. Now he goes to a team where he has to like struggle to make it. But if he does maybe come back and if, and, and who knows how severe the injury is and how many games he would have, he was on like a really good pace. And ultimately it's a tragedy that, that he got hurt in the first place because he was on a good enough pace where he might've been able to kind of, you know, sneak into the, the back half of the seventh round, kind of like old BC Johnson did. And that kind of gives you a leg up going into camp, whether we want to admit it or not. But alas, he, he does manage to sit out. He doesn't like come back and maybe play a couple more prove it games or anything like that. He sits out, he, he, plays his last game as a Bearcat, he leaves injured, 
And when he, when it's time to get drafted, of course, he falls out of the draft. He ends up being an undrafted free agent, and then he enters the Vikings, which for an undrafted free agent wide receiver, there's probably not many better teams to land on than the Minnesota Vikings because they do not have very many like locked in roster spots. Like if you remember, even going back just like a couple years ago, the Vikings were very, very locked in. They had, you know, their digs and their Thielen and their Jarius Wright, and they weren't going to cut Treadwell. And then you only had like maybe one or two spots left to fight over. And even that you were, you know, there were multiple draft picks and there was a time when you had to like, you know, beat out like Stacey Coley and stuff like that. And and now we're in a, such a, a nebulous situation where even Laquan Treadwell is not guaranteed a roster spot, though I do think he'll make it because I don't think the competition is stiff enough to knock him off. But really, you have Diggs, Thielen, and the rest is is a total crapshoot. You could end up, you know, on top of that group if you're Davion Davis, and it wouldn't be really that much more surprising than a seventh rounder like Dylan Mitchell or a, a, a bubble guy like Jordan Taylor or Chad Beebe. So, you know, it's it's really a wide open situation. So, you know, going to that small school and showing out at that small school, Davion Davis has the chance to prove everything that injuries and circumstance robbed his opportunity to prove himself of before. Like, you can't look at Sam Houston State tape and say that this guy is, you know, NFL rosterable because the level of competition will always undermine that. And then the the injury undermines it further. So Davion Davis, you know, whatever he has, we will be able to see probably a lot quicker than we would be able to see for other undrafted free agents just because of the situation that he ends up landing in. So I'm going to step away to an ad break that I'm way late for. And when I come back, we will talk about the other two people in this episode. I'll talk to y'all in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, moving on. So let's talk about Drew Samia. Uh, Samia is, of course, you are probably familiar with him, fourth-round draft pick out of Oklahoma this year, coming in as a rookie, uh, an exciting either depth guard or competition for Josh Klein. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but, you know, coming out of high school, Drew Samia was, like, a top offensive line prospect, right? Which is why he ends up at, at Oklahoma. That's not going to be a surprise to anybody. But he's a little bit too small, and he has to gain weight, which I'm noticing every time that I go into an offensive lines thing or even a tight end's, like, background on this, it always ends up with them, like, somehow gaining weight or, like, playing above their weight. So I guess the Vikings wanted people who have already done that step and 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 don't have to like gain weight to be good. I guess that's something that they have really prioritized in their roster building lately. Uh, but Drew Samia, he ends up playing uh, for Oklahoma. He follows that same arc, that the curve of a classic college player. And, you know, throughout his time at Oklahoma, there's a whole lot of really interesting stuff behind him in terms of the quarterbacks that he's protecting. You know, he goes from that, that magical season of Baker Mayfield 
Mayfield all the way through that like magical time with Kyler Murray and now he has Kirk Cousins behind him or probably a split of Kyle Sloter and Sean Mannion as we start. Um, but, you know, in, in Oklahoma, he ends up kind of being part of this Oklahoma offensive line with like Ben Powers and Cody Ford and like all these guys that are like very much uh, uh, the rock of uh, an ever-changing Oklahoma program and, and contribute a lot to the success that Oklahoma has. So they get like a, a bit of a reputation around them. And there's one moment that, you know, the summer before uh, Samia's senior season, there's one kind of moment that I want to go in depth, and that is when he decides to go get a sleeve tattoo. Uh, the tattoos, you know, they mean a lot to a lot of people. Some people just like body art. Some people really want to like represent who they are, or, like, you know, pay homage to somebody close to them, a loved one or whatever. So for Drew Samia, he, uh, is half Samoan and wanted to pay homage to that heritage. So he calls up his uncle and he's like, I want to get a tattoo. And he goes and finds a tattoo artist that'll do it. And he just tells the tattoo artist, like, this is my story. Give me something. I want to sleep. Give me something that represents me and, and you know, represents my heritage. And if you go look at, I'll, I'll link the article where he tells the story in, in the show notes. And, I mean, go look at it because I, I think it, it doesn't have the same resonance unless you're looking at the pattern and the design and everything. There's a lot of symbolism in it. For one, the, the pattern itself is very much of, like, a Samoan design. It's that very, like, kind of, you know, Polynesian, that that Indian Ocean-looking style of body art that you would see in a lot of, like, similar cultures. Um, but it also has, like, a lot more meaning to it. There's a lot, there's uh, a, a bunch of kind of arms all weaving in through each other, and it looks like uh, it's supposed to represent, like, multitasking. And so I, I think representing his personality while also representing his heritage, and it's a huge sleeve, and here's what's crazy about it, too. It takes 15 hours to do, and he sits there and he gets a tattoo for 10 hours. Like, I can barely get through a 10-hour workday without getting bored out of my skull. And then, probably sore as all get out, he comes back and he puts in five more to finish it. And that is just unbelievable. But now he has this really cool sleeve tattoo and it represents who he is. And it also, like, it was important to him because he doesn't look particularly Simone. He's very fair-skinned. He, he doesn't have uh, the look of somebody that you would immediately clock as, like, of Samoan heritage. So having that on his body that can kind of be like a big giant badge of honor, this is who I am, is really cool and important. Um, but back to the on-field stuff. So he gets drafted by the Vikings as part of this like illustrious uh, Oklahoma offensive line. And now he enters a situation that's pretty favorable as a fourth round pick. Maybe he shouldn't have been a fourth round pick. I think he was a third round guy in most people's evaluations, but I digress. Uh, he, he comes into a situation where he plays right guard and the right guard of the Vikings is probably the most vulnerable guy. You know, you've got he, as much as Pat Elfline has gotten a, a lot of hate. I don't think his starting job is really up for grabs at this particular juncture. Obviously, they're going to start Garrett Bradbury. They're going to start Riley Reef. Brian O'Neill has more than earned it. But Josh Klein over at that right guard spot is very much vulnerable. I think he has the right guard spot, but he's somebody that if Drew Samia outplays him, in camp, you could start to kind of see Samia come in and, and get those first team reps. Now, he came out of college with some technique flaws and some issues and stuff. Go listen to the Draft Recap pro podcast for more details on that, because again, this is not an evaluative show. This is about his story, but he came in with some things that he has to clean up. So as he goes into training camp, it, it for Samia, it should be more about cleaning those things up than about, I need to outplay Josh Klein and go get a start. It should be about, these are the things preventing me from, from getting a start eventually, and I need to get them cleaned up, cleaned up because, you know, the, the 
look of the offensive line is going to be different down the road. There's going to be different players in different positions. You know, you might have somebody kick out to right tackle. You might have Brian O'Neill go from right tackle to left tackle once Riley Reef leaves, or there might be new additions or whatever. So I, I think for Drew Samia, I think he should accept the luxury of not having to start right away and just focus on fixing the, the technique things. And I think like what's at stake for him in this preseason is very little. I don't think that if he fails really badly at the preseason, he gets cut. You have to be like Willie Beaver's level of bad, just like clearly uh, not right for the NFL. You know, you realize immediately that it's wrong. And, and it's almost difficult to achieve that, uh, especially for somebody like Drew Samia, who was way more highly touted before the draft than Willie Beaver's ever was. So like conflating those two situations would be incorrect in my opinion. So I think for Samia, I, I do think he does have the luxury to like kind of sit back, relax, and and just try to get better here. Take on that NFL level coaching, that Rick Dennison legendary zone, you know, zone offensive line coaching, and let yourself be a work in progress for a hot minute so that you can, you know, work through the things that are preventing you from like taking that next step forward as an offensive lineman. So I think what's at stake for him is really just personal growth. And if he grows faster than we thought, a la Brian O'Neill, he could take that spot from Josh Klein. But it's really nice for both Drew Samia and for the Vikings that we don't need him to right away. So I am going to step away in just a second. And when I come back, we'll talk about Dan Bailey. But before I do step away, I do just want to quick mention the Himalaya podcasting app. It is a new podcasting app that curates playlists and stuff directly for you based on what you listen to and and your interests and helps you kind of make sense of all the crazy volume out there. And they add like new features every day. It's a much more active podcast app than most of the apps that are just kind of a list of shows. So go to Himalaya, uh, go to your app store, download Himalaya, subscribe to Locked on Vikings and see if you like it. All right, moving on. I want to take you into a very specific moment in Dan Bailey's life. Yeah, we're talking about the kicker today. So it's the day after New Year's in 2010. We are in the old Cowboys stadium before it became Jerry World and all this big stuff. And a different Cowboys, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, are playing in the Cotton Bowl against the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, the Cowboys have just gone down the field and scored a touchdown to tie the game up 7-7 to in the third quarter, and Dan Bailey is lining up to kick the extra point. And I just want to pause at that moment, because at that moment, it would be the only kick he makes in the whole game, uh, and, and that kick might have meant a little extra to Dan Bailey. So let's just rewind a little bit and talk about him coming out of high school. Obviously, as a kicker, it's it's a little tougher to get your name out there, but he does end up getting a, a walk-on deal and an academic scholarship at the University of Arkansas. And because it's an academic scholarship, his coach, Houston Nutt, who you may have heard about in the news recently and all of his drama with Ole Miss and, and the paying, playing, paying players scandal and the Leo Lewis stuff and all that good, fun drama... But this predates all that stuff at a school that is not involved in any of the storytelling past this point. None of the Ole Miss stuff, not the Cotton Bowl, anything. So we're at Arkansas, and Houston Nutt thinks that because Dan Bailey's scholarship is academic, it doesn't count toward the 85 scholarship limit that college programs have to abide by. You can't give out more than 85 scholarships for your football team. And because he's wrong about this, and it does count toward the 85, uh, Dan Bailey ends up being the like the quote-unquote roster cut. It'd be as if in the NFL you found out you accidentally had 91 players because the international exception for, you know, Babatunde Ayagbusi didn't work the way you think it did. 
So he goes to Dan Bailey and he says, I'm revoking your scholarship. You can still walk on, but you're going to have to pay for school yourself, which is like kind of a nasty move. Like, I, I understand that, like, oh, we thought you had it, but we had it wrong. And, you know, I mean, he, he chose Arkansas and he like didn't go to other schools because of this thing. So his parents are outraged. Like, obviously, his parents are incensed. And he ends up dropping out of Arkansas, and he's, like, living with his parents. He was the valedictorian at his high school, and he's not in college within, like, two seconds of his freshman year. And it seems like this whole thing has just completely fallen apart, and maybe in a different universe he is forgotten here. This is that low moment we see for so many players on this Vikings roster, and on every roster in the NFL. Everybody in the NFL outside of, you know, first-round picks and kind of blue-blooded players has this moment where they think everything is gone. You know, for Davion Davis, it could have been when he got hurt in that game against Southeastern Louisiana. You know, for for Xavier Rhodes, it could be that he was asked to, you know, switch to cornerback. For Kyle Sloter from yesterday's show, you know, there were a bunch of those moments where it seemed like he was never going to be able to get on the field again. And for Dan Bailey, he wasn't even in college. Uh, But, you know, he, he works his tail off and he ends up going to... Oklahoma State and impresses them and actually gets the opportunity to walk on, make the team, and he's actually their kicker, and he's a good kicker, and they are a pretty good team all the way up to that Cotton Bowl in in 2010, and he kicks the extra point, and he makes it. On the other side of the field, there's Houston Nutt, who, well, these things don't always go the way of the player. These things don't always have a happy ending. It's 7-7 headed into the fourth quarter. Ole Miss scores 14 unanswered, wins the bowl game. But it's okay for Dan Bailey because his career has actually turned out really well. And he ends up on the Cowboys where you are probably familiar with him having like a long, illustrious career there. If you look at reporting from like 2013, 2014, they're all talking about him as like the most clutch guy. And he's like seven of eight from 50 and, you know, 12 of 14 in total. And like, you know, has only missed two kicks all year and like all this really great stuff and and, and really like great praise heaped up on him. He's, He's a hero of Dallas. They don't have to worry about their kicker for so long. And in the meantime, you know, you're going through like the weirdest parts of the Tony Romo drama. You're going through uh, all kinds of weird stuff with like the new stadium and with Jerry Jones. And and I believe the Terrell Owens stuff is getting really weird around this time. You have that Des Bryant, that Des caught it moment. And I want to fast forward you all the way to 2017, very recently, where Dan Bailey hurts his groin. Strange his groin. It's it's a small-ish injury. It's not a huge deal. But for kicking, there's like a mental aspect to all this stuff, right? Like with kicking, and I've talked about it, uh, kicking in the past on this podcast, but with kicking, it's a lot more like golf and a lot less like track. You know, it's not really about your athleticism so much as it is about torque and technique. And you do need a certain level of like leg strength to get there. But mostly it's, it's about being able to use your entire body weight effectively and having the right technique and being accurate and all that stuff. And to do that, it requires a a certain mental makeup. You have to, uh, you know, be like very confident. You you can't be second guessing yourself or overthinking things in the moment because then you'll screw up your your technique and, and, you know, you'll you'll hook a 27 yarder wide left. So for Dan Bailey, it, it seems like this absence when he has his groin hurt like really screws him and he comes back there's a game in 2017 where he misses two field goals and an extra point and and by year's end he is left completely unemployed and he's basically just like out on the market as this guy that nobody knows if he's healthy and is he too old and is he washed up to be a kicker is he is his career going to happen at all and he's again he's sitting basically on his couch not knowing if he's ever going to get a chance again 
and maybe that's his fault and maybe it isn't you know I, I kind of see this like really poetic parallel between that moment his freshman year of college and that moment in 2017 where he is just kind of waiting on a phone call and it's it's way further out of his hands than he ever wishes it was but we know how this ends right he goes through the 2017 offseason nobody signs him he doesn't even get to he doesn't I don't even think he goes to a training camp correct me if I'm wrong there um and and I I gotta think at that point it's just it's over but everybody was pretty much set at kicker including the Vikings who drafted one that year and that's kind of part of I think why everybody hesitates to go pay the expensive veteran when you've got a guy like Daniel Carlson. I think there was another popular kicker at the time that teams were kind of salivating over and thinking, well, yeah, we can spend a fifth round pick on a kicker and and not have to pay cap space. And they would actually rather do that. Now, you know that I've been very vocal that I disagree. I would much rather just like pay a million or two million bucks for Dan Bailey than I would to, you know, take a a shot at a draft pick. But the Vikings do that. They, They pick up Daniel Carlson and he changes something about his his technique in that offseason between college and the pros and he comes in his rookie year and we know how this ends right he's a complete disaster in the preseason he does fine in the San Francisco game I don't think he he missed any in week one and then the week two Lambeau disaster happens and like other disasters happen around the league as well I think there's another kicker that misses I think Zane Gonzalez for the Browns misses three field goals and I think he gets cut later and there's all kinds of like machinations around the league when it comes to the kicker position and suddenly there's all these openings. And the Vikings end up winning the bidding war, and they bring in Dan Bailey, who has an up-and-down season, but by the end of the season, he gets his legs back under him, and uh, no pun intended, and now he is entering a 2019 season where he has no primary competition, although there are still people out on the market, so if Dan Bailey comes out and and struggles, the Vikings would have options and probably be able to go pursue them. I I think they could probably figure that out salary cap-wise. But by and large, the pressure is basically off, and it's time for Dan Bailey to come in, get his feet back under him, put all of the drama of of losing his Dallas job and having a tumultuous start in Minnesota behind him, and just be a kicker. And that was what he had in the good parts in Dallas. He could just be a kicker, and he didn't have to constantly worry about it. And if he's healthy and he's not worried, then he'll be able to just come in and kick. And there's no competition, so the preseason, by and large, only has to go so well for him. It can go poorly to a degree before the Vikings start looking at other options, and that means that his job is very easy and the pressure is off him, and you don't want a lot of pressure on your kicker. So for Dan Bailey, right now the situation is good considering where everything else was and the two kind of almost like dead moments, you know, dead in the water career moments that brought him here. I think Dan Bailey can be a little bit grateful that he's still in the NFL with a job that he doesn't have to beat somebody out for. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show on any podcast app you like, including Himalaya. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings for it to take you right to the most recent episode. Thank you all again so much for hanging out. We'll keep you updated on OTA stuff if anything important comes along. But if not, we're going to keep doing this series. And as always, Skull. Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked on Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.